0: There was these two sisters that were part of our program and they had like talked about through the summer how they never really got a chance to uh, connect with the outside world too much, with nature too much. And seeing how proud they were of themselves after they successfully did the plant walk, how like the smiles on their faces, that was honestly a really big turning point for me.
1: Boujou, hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem.
2: And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Meet Gwach for joining us. Native Lights is a podcast and radio show, but just you wait, it's much more than that. At its core, it's a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each and every week, we have captivating conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. We're talking musicians, artists, doctors. Healthcare advocates, language warriors, you name it. We speak with them on their gifts and how they share their gifts with their community, centering around, you know, finding purpose in our lives and amplifying native voices. Leah, how are you doing? What's going on?
1: I'm doing great. It is ah that magical time of year, darkness and snow and a chill. So, doing pretty well. How about you?
2: Uh, I'm also doing great. You know, uh, we are recording this as 2024 gets underway, so glad to start with a clean slate this year. I'm a new homeowner, diving into that, and um, I'm sore right now from ripping out carpet, and very... Uh, <laughs>
1: Hey. I know that's what I—that's what Who I keep telling Ryan. I'm, like, I'm, I'm gonna get ripped
2: doing all this house stuff. <laughs> just, <laughs> just uh, you know, daydreaming about that. But, but yeah, one thing we uh, we hope to get going, you know, in springtime is our little garden area, and we don't really have a plan for it right now. How should should we first approach like a garden situation?
1: That's a good question for a complete amateur like me. I would say what do you have so far in your new house? Is there any garden space currently?
2: They've got like a pre existing like, you know, uh, wood sectioned off garden mm-hmm. area. I don't know if it's like a garden bed. Maybe eight by eight or something like that. So
1: Yeah, first year. First yeah. year, take advantage of it. You know, mix in some fertilizer, the the good stuff. Mm-hmm. The healthy stuff yeah like what do you what would you like to try what would you like to eat i mean do you want a lot of stuff because i know if you plant zucchini <laughs> usually that's a a so, popular uh plentiful plant
2: yeah you know <laughs> well we'd like you know some of like the the herbs and things like that oh, yeah. going uh we love our green onions we like chives we like you know, all that stuff, but zucchini, zapkuni, maybe uh, we'll throw some of that in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the easy stuff, your cucumbers, your zucchini. Yeah, cucumbers. Um,
2: How about tomatoes? Have you tried tomatoes before? Are those oh tough? Gosh.
1: Yes, but the like cherry tomatoes. Oh, okay. Those tend to be a bit better. <laughs> a bit better for me, the bigger ones. Get a little bit more difficult, but yeah. Also, check out what sort of wildlife is in your area.
2: Yeah, the natural, the native plants. We want to have like a little. I don't know if in the garden or somewhere in the just the backyard to have like a a place for native plants to grow. That would be kind of nice.
1: Maybe some pollinators. Yeah. Pollinator plants. Yeah,
2: something like that. Get some (laughs) bees back there
1: or something. Yep, but yeah. other than that, usually I just <laughs> throw some seeds in the ground, see what happens. <laughs> just throw the just <laughs> figure they've baby. they've lasted longer than me in, on this planet, so, you know, I'm sure they'll do fine.
2: They've got this down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. That's my gardening approach. <laughs> I
2: like it. I like it. Very good. That's why I'm very excited to speak with our guest today, Gabby Minuman. Gabby is a citizen of the Forest County Potawatomi community in northern Wisconsin, and she's currently the restoration manager for Wakantipi Oiyangapi, where she oversees the ongoing ecological restoration of Wakantipi, a cave sacred to Dakota people that's located in St. Paul along the Mississippi River. Gabby graduated with a master's degree in tribal natural resource management, so just looking forward to talking to her about her restoration efforts, her passion for our plant relatives, and much more. Here she is.
1: Hi Gabby. Hey, how's it going?
2: Bonjour, Gabby, can you please introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so
0: hey guys, my name is Gabby Manuman. I come from the Forest County Potawatomi community up in northern Wisconsin. I am currently living in the St. Paul area. Work for a Native-led nonprofit called Walk on Tpuyan Copy. So we're an Indigenous-led environmental organization that does a lot of environmental restoration at a sacred site we steward, which is the Walk on cave located at the Bruce Bento Nature Sanctuary. And another big project that our organization is part of and that I lead is the daylighting of Failing Creek as well. So that's a little bit about me. I've been here in the cities for almost eight years now. I came to go to the school at the U, got my two undergrad degrees in American Indian studies and in urban forestry, and just finished up a master's in tribal natural resource management at the U too. So you know, I've been doing this work for a really long time. It's what I love doing. I love working with plants, working outside. So yeah.
2: We'll definitely get into that. Before that, we'd like to just ask, you know, how are you doing? How's How's the family doing?
0: Yeah, we're all doing really well. You know, you know, the holidays were a great time to reconnect with some extended family as well. It was really nice. I have a a five-year-old. He just turned five, actually, about three days ago. You know, that was really nice seeing him uh, get to play around with his cousins. You know, uh, we don't live by any of our family members, so it's always really nice to
1: see him connecting with his
0: cousins when we are able to. Yeah.
1: Great. So, Gabby, we like to kick off our conversations by asking, is there anything that is on your mind lately that you just are itching to get out is there something you're geeking out about at all
0: yeah so um just thinking about a species that we have at the sanctuary so we have a little tamarack grow kind of over by the creek along the bluff line there and it's really surprising to see tamarack growing there because they really need these like cold habitats they need those like long very cold winters to and here in the cities, you know, we have the urban heat island effect on top of, you know, already warming climate and average temperatures, shorter, warmer winters as well, less snowfall. So it's been really interesting to see like that there's actually tamarack growing on our site. And I think it's because the bluffs are keeping them relatively cool throughout the year, which is really great. But, you know, how how is the continuing climate crisis going to be affecting them in the future? Will they be able to, will the the cooling off from the bluffs be enough to keep them healthy or you know are we going to end up seeing a little stand of tamarack eventually go away you know so it's just kind of like interesting i just finished up my first year working with block TP, um so it's been really interesting kind of getting a better feel of how that our little 27 acres of land that we mainly work with how it like works and how it interacts and how it's like slowly you know changing as well too. So.
2: So uh, on the walk on TP, like how did you how did you get involved in that?
0: Yeah, so I before I started working, I was actually a volunteer. You know, I went to as many volunteer activities as I possibly could. Any sort of uh, you know planting that they were doing, trash pickup, cultural teachings too. I think I went on a couple uh, plant walks with them and was learning uh, medicinal plants. And then I there was a medicine garden position that opened up you know, the year before I started working. So, oh, sorry, no, a couple of months before I started working. So, you know, I was able to be a garden steward at the Medicine Garden, which was really cool, getting to take care of some of the plants that I had planted in an earlier volunteer event too. Towards the end of the Medicine Garden season, Maggie Lorenz, our executive director, reached out to me and was like, hey, I know we've been like talking quite a bit about, you know, how more, how, or how you can get involved more. And, you know, this position just opened up and I think you would be great for it. What do you think? And I was like, wow, yeah, this is like exactly what I've been going to school for. You know, this is everything. This is honestly kind of like the perfect job for me. Yeah. And I'm really glad that she had caught me when she did, because, you know, I was, I was entering my last, my last semester in my graduate program or last semester taking classes that is. And so, you know, I was thinking about, you know, do I stay in the cities? Do I move back up to my res? You know, what should I do? And I'm glad she caught me when she did, because I remember about a month after I started working, a position opened up at the tribe and the tribes, my tribe's natural resource department. They had asked me if I was interested and I was like, no, sorry, I just, you know, found my dream job here in the cities. I don't have to, you know, relocate my family either. So, you know, it was really great. It's a really great opportunity and, you know, really everything that I've been working towards for the past, like, eight years in school. So it's really, it was really great getting that opportunity.
1: You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Gabby Minuman, citizen of the Forest County Potawatomi community in northern Wisconsin. She's currently the restoration manager at Wakantipi Owayangapi in St. Paul. So, how would you describe your role at the organization? So, on a day to day basis,
0: Honestly, it depends on what time of the year it is. This winter, it's very slow. It's a lot of, you know, sitting in the office, doing office type stuff, answering emails, but a lot of planning with our a lot of the partners that we work with. So a lot of our projects, a lot of the restoration activities, we rely really heavily on other environmental organizations to help get projects done because we're, we're a fairly small organization. I think there's there's nine of us right now. We're not at like a super high capacity to get these like really large projects done. So during the winter, it's a lot of coordinating with partners for what are we going to do for the uh, the next growing season, basically, the next field season, whatever you want to call it. And then during the field season, that's when it, work really ramps up for me. So I'm usually at the site multiple times a week doing monitoring, meeting with partners on site to kind of plan out projects, you know, take walkthroughs of the site to try to figure out specific details for what we're going to need for uh, different projects. And then I also help out our programs team a lot if they want to lead a volunteer event on site, or if they want to take uh, some kids down to do some stewardship, you know, I help them figure out what activities they can do, where they can do them. And then, you know, day of, I'll help out with talking about, you know, uh, ecology, sometimes depending on the group of students, I'll talk about uh, medicinal plants a little bit, you know, so... I'm there for a lot of, like, ecology and, like, plant background, supporting my co-workers and all that stuff. Yeah, basically, you know, I call myself the crazy plant lady because I'm always talking about plants. I'm glad I have a job where I'm able to talk about plants and people don't find it annoying, so.
1: So people are coming to you and they're learning about plant relatives, right? Yep, yep, definitely. Do you have maybe a favorite memory of somebody making a realization? about how special our plant relatives are yeah
0: so actually this summer we had a pilot youth program and we had five uh, native youth from the twin cities metro area come and you know and I was there to help out in the mornings with the stewardship activities so we'd be down at the sanctuary and I'd either lead them in an activity talking about plants or actually like getting to work get their hands dirty and work with the plants and it was really interesting because, you know, working with with like urban native youth is definitely something that I wasn't used to. I I worked for my tribe a summer during my undergraduate time and I got to work with some of the the kids from the res up there. They grew up playing outside, being outdoors constantly. And that's something that not a lot of urban native children get to experience. So it was, a, it was a really big shift in how they view the outside world, working with these kids this summer. You know, they started off the program not wanting to get dirty or get sweaty, you know, really not wanting to get their hands in the dirt at all and not knowing almost anything about nature or like the outside world or plants at all. So it was really amazing. I got to teach them a lot about the different plants that grew up at the site and, you know, Um, Historical uses of plants, medicinal uses, and ecology stuff like that. And by the uh, by, the end of their time, by the end of their the time of the during their program, they were able to lead their own plant walk during our pollinator fest. So they actually, and it was a huge group of people that they talked to. There was like seventy people on this plant walk. The kids did really amazing, and just like there was these two sisters that were part of our program, and they had like talked about through the summer how they never really got a chance to uh, connect with the outside world too much with nature too much and seeing how proud they were of themselves after they successfully did the plant walk how like the smiles on their faces that was honestly a really big turning point for me because you know I never had too much experience working with youth and I was always like yeah I don't I don't know I don't click well with the young the younger generation but like seeing that I was able to Create a positive experience for them, and seeing how incredibly happy they were with how much that they learned it was like that was really something special.
1: Was there any sort of particular plants that resonated with the youth that had that pizzazz?
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So there was a couple kids that had actually especially requested to talk about certain certain plants that they were interested in. So one girl, she wanted to talk a lot about sage. Because she already had some cultural knowledge about sage, and you know she wanted to build off what she already knew. There was another young girl that wanted to talk about purple coneflower or echinacea. She was really interested in that plant. Plant, and then we had another another one who really wanted to talk about milkweed, which is my favorite plant. I love milkweed so much. So
2: I'm terrible at plant knowledge, but do you like milkweeds because monarch butterflies get their start there? I don't, that's as much as I know.
0: I mean, that's, that's definitely a bonus of it. I like milkweed because in my family, we, we eat the buds. So there's the flower buds right before they pop out and actually turn into flowers. They're those little green buds and we pick those and we'll pick the new leaves too and make soup out of it. So I grew up eating milkweed soup. So that's why it's my one of my favorite plants, so. It's hard to describe, but um a couple summers ago my, my auntie was telling telling someone that it almost has like a mild broccoli flavor. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, really nice in stews. You do have to double boil it because the that sticky sap that's in it has latex in it. So you need to do a double boil to get the latex out. Because a lot of people think that you can't eat milkweed because it's toxic and and it is and that's why I I think that's one of the reasons why the, the monarch butterflies uh, start off their life cycle on there is as they're eating the milkweed, they themselves become toxic to like predators, like birds that might want to eat it. But you know, if you do that double boil, you actually get the latex out of it, and it like really brings out this really amazing flavor. So
2: that's that's great. I also recently learned that cattails you can put in salads.
0: Cattails, like the roots or the oh the the shoots, maybe
2: the shoots. Yeah, the shoots. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I tried those for the first time this summer. They definitely taste almost exactly like cucumber. And I wish I liked cucumbers enough to also want to eat cattails.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So let's step back a little bit and dive into your background just a bit. Like what inspired you to do what you do like with, you know, your passion for plant relatives and the environment?
0: Honestly, I got into the environmental science field because I had originally gone into my freshman year at the U thinking that I was going to do mortuary science, and then I kind of had a talk with some elders in my community, and in my community, women aren't really part of the funeral process in that sort of way. I was given some advice not to move on with that path from some elders in my community, and so... I remember after my freshman year, I was, we were visiting up on the res and my dad took me out for a walk. And I was like, just talking through how stressed out I was. Like, I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't really know what else I'm interested in. And we just went for a walk in the woods and he was just talking to me as much about maple trees and, you know, about a couple other plants that he was able to recognize. He's not super knowledgeable with plants, but you know, he was trying to just take a walk and share with me as much as he could. And I remember I got home later that day and I was like, man, I wish I could just have a job where I could just be outside all the time. And I was like, wait, I bet I could. So I started researching different majors where, you know, you can work outside and you can work with plants and the forestry program at the U seemed like the best fit for me. I definitely got a lot of great knowledge and great You know, hands on field experience from it. But if I wasn't also taking American Indian studies with it, I don't know if I would have finished the program. It's just kind of being around people that are like so deep in the Western science, like viewpoint of the world, especially the natural world, is kind of very jarring and doesn't. Like their their values and what they see as valuable does not always align with you know traditional values like indigenous values and knowledge of the of the environment so honestly if i wasn't taking the american indian studies classes i don't i don't know if i would have finished the program there was you know a couple professors that i just didn't get along with very well because they couldn't see my viewpoint of the world and i couldn't see their viewpoint of the world and sometimes, you know, it would be really frustrating when students would find out that I was indigenous, just asking all sorts of questions that weren't related to anything we were discussing in class. You know, topic of casinos always would come up and I'm like, hey, aren't we supposed to be talking about the prairie ecosystem right now and how that interacts with fire? And, you know, so it was, it was kind of a difficult program to go through at times. But I'm also lucky. I had a friend that was in the wildlife science field, wildlife science major which is part of the same college. So she was going through a lot of the same struggles in her courses with her professors and her classmates as well. So, you know, it was nice having people to lean on. And it was always, it was always nice getting to be with other Native people in the American Indian Studies programs and all those classes. So I think if I didn't have that support system, the, that program definitely would not have worked out for me there as well.
2: You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Gabby Minnuman, citizen of the Forest County Potawatomi community in northern Wisconsin, and she's currently the restoration manager at Wakan Tipee in St. Paul.
1: It seems like having an option for a course, or many courses, that highlight and celebrate Indigenous (laughs) knowledge would be... beneficial to a program like that.
0: Yeah, and that's actually funny that you bring that up because my last year in undergraduate program, right after I graduated, they announced the hire of my, um, who ended up turning out to be my master's program advisor, Mike Dockery. He's Citizen Van Potawatomi. Right when I graduated, they announced that he was going to become a full-time faculty and two new Ameri- or like T.E.K. Indigenous Natural Resource Courses were going to be added. And I was like, oh, why did they wait so long?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of you know relates to uh, part of your bio where you say you, uh, you're passionate about looking at how to center Indigenous voices, values, and knowledge in the stewardship of the land. Could you tell us, like, in what way can that be better done, uh, centering Indigenous perspectives in stewardship of land?
0: Yeah, so I think definitely, and this comes up a lot in my job also, is, you know, a lot of non-Native organizations will try our, you know, TEK has been kind of like traditional ecological knowledge has been a really like trendy topic, I guess you could say, in the environmental field the past couple of years. And, you know, people want to be able to integrate it into their work without consulting Indigenous people, you know. I'm like, okay, how can you how can you say you have a grasp on traditional ecological knowledge if you yourself haven't even learned from any indigenous person before you, you know, there's only so much you can read in a book and, you know, part of TEK and integrating that is consulting with, you know, local indigenous people who have that kind of gener- multi-generational knowledge, you know? So I think what I'm talking about when I'm, when I said, you know, how, how can we uplift and how can we, um, Integrate more indigenous voices is how can people start looking towards, I guess, quote unquote, resources. Meaning, you know, people that other indigenous people that have that environmental knowledge, uh, that plant knowledge, you know, water knowledge, things like that. How can you start uplifting their voices? And when it comes to asking people to share that knowledge, you know, how are you fairly compensating them as well? We can't do all this teaching for free are people going to be fairly compensated so that they themselves can also support their their lives as well? You know, and I mean, I'm seeing it from a couple different organizations where you know they don't want to put in the time and effort to research other indigenous people and you know who in their area might be the best to reach out to. I don't know. I think it's a little bit of laziness on a lot of people's parts. So you know, how can people get past that? Start reaching out, and then also building meaningful relationships. There's a lot of mistrust within the indigenous community and especially related to you know sharing sharing what people know about plant knowledge you know so how can you build a meaningful relationship how can you build that trust but also you know continuing that relationship beyond you know whatever project you want to work on too building a sustainable meaningful relationship I think people just you know they want they have this like bright idea and they want to get it done and over with as soon as possible but they're not too concerned with how can we continue to build trust and uplift voices that really aren't heard.
2: Thank you. I was just curious about just the status of Walk-on TP right now. What's what's the outlook in the, in the near future?
0: Are you talking about the Walk-on-TP as the sacred site or as the organization?
2: Sorry. Yeah, I should specify that. As the the sacred site and the restoration efforts.
0: Yeah. So um, so right now we're kind of at the end of a really intensive restoration period. So kind of what is it looking like for the future? It's going to be Uh, We're going to do some kind of monitoring and kind of analysis of you know what's already been done, and we're going to start thinking long-term about a kind of natural resource maintenance plan, if you want to call it that, continuing management of invasive species, continuing to build different habitats on site that are like honestly still really low quality and degraded habitat types. So there's a couple areas of the prairie that have been really overrun by by woody shrubs so we're hoping to see some more progression with you know planting and seeding in that area Uh, the woodlands along the bluffs have honestly been very neglected still super overrun with buckthorn for some reason so you know looking how to restore more of the especially the understory in the woods back there and thinking about how can we slow down erosion as well most of the soil types in the area are sand-based so they're really susceptible to erosion so you know are we getting different plants in there, sedges, for example, that can hold that soil in and reduce the amount of erosion? And as for the cave itself, this is something that we're going to have to work on really closely with the four Dakota tribes here in Minnesota, is how are we going to regate the cave? Because currently there's this big steel slab over the, the Wakan Tipi Cave, and it's not really well secured in there. People are still able to get back in the cave, so... We're going to have to work with the tribes and the city to figure out how can we keep the cave as safe as possible.
2: I was going to ask you just a quick question before we end. I was talking to my sister about this. I recently became a homeowner and we have like a garden area. Do you have any suggestions for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, getting into the gardening business?
0: <laughs> into the gardening business. Yeah. So I would definitely kind of take a year to kind of observe the area, kind of see, you know, what the what's the moisture level like, if there's ever, like, any standing water at all, or, you know, depending, like, how dry it is, and then kind of thinking about looking into local ecosystems and habitat types to see what would kind of best fit in with the area, you know. If it's an area that gets a lot of sunlight, you know, what are plants that love the sun um, and love to be in uh, more open areas, if it's an area that's kind of shaded by trees, what plants are going to do well in low light conditions? Things like that. So, definitely starting there with some observation. You know, looking around and looking around the uh, your area as well, and seeing
1: you know what other native
0: plants are growing around there too. So,
1: great. See, there's your expert answer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you mean I can't just dive into it and start planting stuff willy nilly?
1: Uh, that. <laughs> well <laughs> no, but it's good i mean technically no, it's good to yes, do some research and understand what you're
2: dealing with but i like it mm-hmm. i like it so Excellent. miigwech to gabby manuman gabby is a citizen of the forest county Potawatomi community in northern wisconsin and is currently the restoration manager at wakon tipi hawaiiangapi in saint paul i'm Cole primo
1: and i'm Leah lem miigwech for listening Giga Wapman. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.